You know, some of us are kind of rusty on those old songs. But I know some of you dearly love those old songs, and I could tell you were the ones that were standing. But I am so thankful for this congregation, because you're a congregation that even if it's not your favorite, you'll tolerate it. Amen? And now you know how some of the older ones that love the older songs feel uh, when we try to do them. We're going to do that once in a while. But I think the Bible says, if I remember right, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I grew up in a Pentecostal church and I saw it all. There was a lot of hand clapping and knee slapping and all that going on. But through it all, they were making a joyful noise unto the Lord. That's what it's all about, that God receives our praise. Well, we're still in our sermon series on the seven last sayings of Jesus while he hung upon the cross. Today we're going to be looking at one of those last sayings of Jesus that talks all about relationship. Do you know Jesus is all about relationship? I think the problem with us is sometimes we read about that in Scripture, and we read things in Scripture so much that we become desensitized to what's really happening, to the bigger picture of what's going on. I just want to say this because I don't want myself or anyone else to ever become desensitized to the sacrifice of Jesus or to the power of the cross. So today, this is kind of an Easter series that's going to lead us up to Easter, but I want you to see yourselves as part of the crowd that day that was witnessing Jesus being uh, executed, Jesus being crucified. I mean, imagine in your minds for a moment if your mind can go there, Jesus hanging upon a cross, he was beaten. Before that, he had been betrayed. He was beaten. He was bruised. He was spit upon. He had insults hurled at him from every direction. And just keep in mind, it wasn't the nails that held Jesus to that cross. It was the love that he had for those people that were torturing him that day. It wasn't the nails that held Jesus to the cross. It was the love that he had for you in and me this morning. He saw us afar off and went to the cross to die for us. Do you know he could have called down legions of angels at any moment to bring the help to get him out of that situation? But he didn't. He didn't because he knew he had a God-given mission that was created by God in the beginning that he had to stick to, that he had to stay on that cross until that mission was completed. And thank God he did. Amen? So this morning, it's just like watching a movie. I want you to see Jesus hanging on the cross, looking down at those people who he had not too uh, long before that comforted, had strengthened, had been their help, had been uh, the one that took care of them, healed them, fed them, loved them, and looking straight into their faces and seeing the rage in their eyes, hearing the uh, anger and hatred in their voice, knowing that he had to stay on the cross while they were waiting for him to take his last breath. Do you realize there were a whole lot of people there that day that literally hated Jesus? There was so much hate around Calvary at that moment. But there was some love there too. There were some people there that dearly loved Jesus. The Bible records that were, there were four main ones who were brave enough to show up for the crucifixion. They were mostly women, believe it or not. They were relatives of Jesus, as well as a couple other ladies who had been instrumental in his earthly ministry. But of course, we know his mother Mary was there, right? 
And by now she's older. By now she's got gray in her hair. By now she's got wrinkles on her face. Her hands are calloused. And by now she's had a house full of other children. And she's standing there looking at her eldest son, her firstborn son, dying upon a cross and being crucified. John tells us that uh, she was not alone that day. Mary was not alone. She was standing with John. He was there. She was also standing with three other women. She was standing with her sister, Salome, Jesus' aunt, the mother of James and John. She was standing with Mary, the wife of Clopas. She was standing with Mary Magdalene. Most of us have heard of Mary Magdalene, the one that Jesus cast out seven demons from. You may not realize this, but she was the first one that got to witness Jesus in his resurrected form. And actually, this is amazing. This woman that Jesus had cast out seven demons from, uh, uh, she was the first preacher, you might say, because she witnessed the resurrection, the resurrected Christ, and she took that good news back to the disciples. Speaking of the disciples, where were they? You would have thought they would have been huddled around the cross, wouldn't you? After all Jesus has done for them, you would have thought they'd have been right there at the cross. Well, you'd have been wrong because they weren't. Only one of them was there, and I've already mentioned his name. His name was John. I guess the others didn't have what it takes to be, where, be there with Jesus through his darkest hours, through his worst hours of his life. Remember Peter. He denied knowing Christ three times the night before Jesus was crucified. Remember Judas Iscariot, the betrayer. He went out and committed suicide. And the rest of his disciples that you would have thought would have been huddled at the cross were huddled and hiding in an upper room in Jerusalem because of the fear that was in their hearts. And I can just imagine this group of guys trying to justify themselves. They're making excuses while Jesus is out there dying and bleeding on a cross, I can imagine them saying, well, we're not going to do Jesus any good to go out there and be crucified with him, so let's just stay here and sit tight. But out of those four that are mentioned at the cross that I've talked about, it was Jesus' mother that he was focused on, especially in this scripture we're going to look at right now. While he's hanging on that cross, he's focused on his mother. John chapter 19, verse 23, it says, When the soldiers crucified Jesus... They took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one, of e one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get to take it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Back in that day, those soldiers that were in charge of the crucifixion a lot of times would steal the clothes from the condemned men. They would steal their clothes. It was an extra insult on top of insults for them to rob uh, these condemned men of everything they had, including their clothing, leaving them naked and destitute. And they sure didn't let Jesus off the hook. The Roman soldiers wanted to humiliate our Lord all they could, and they crucified him naked trying to shame him. So as was prophesied in the Old Testament, in Psalms 22, verse 18, said they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So they divided Jesus' clothing and they started gambling over who was going to get this seamless garment, which actually I found out was the most valuable of all of his clothes for more reasons than one. Verse 25, 
It says, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. His mother's sister, that's Salome, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. I'm thinking about Mary. What courage she must have had. What courage would it take to keep standing under the weight, under the pressure of all that she was dealing with, all that she was seeing. But I believe in my heart Mary would have had it no other way. She was going to be there through thick and thin. She was going to be there to show Jesus, I love you regardless of what's happening to you right now. And I believe the pain of watching Jesus suffer was hard on all five of those that were at the cross that loved Jesus, but especially for Jesus' mother. We know it's difficult to ever for anyone to ever lose a child. There's no doubt about that. But put yourselves in Mary's shoes for a moment. Her young son, 33 years old, that she has raised, is being tortured and hung on a cross. Think about what she was going through. Think about the, the thoughts that were in her mind. I can't help but believe her mind went rushing back to a lot of memories of Jesus' brief life. And I would imagine the first thought would have been when that angel showed up and announced to her that she was going to conceive of the Holy Spirit and give birth to the Son of God. I can imagine her having the memory of her, Joseph, her and Joseph going to Bethlehem for the census. I can imagine, for sure, she's thinking of her baby Jesus being born in the manger in that stable. And I can't help but think she must have worried a lot when Jesus started his earthly ministry because he was attracting the hatred, literal hatred, of some of the most powerful men in the nation. And I'm sure that day she probably had her mind go back to the time that her and Joseph took Jesus to the temple to be dedicated. And a temple assistant by the name of Simeon was there, and he not only spoke over Jesus, he spoke over Mary. He had this to say about Mary and what she was going to deal with. Luke chapter 2, verse 35. A sword will pierce your own soul too. A sword will pierce your own soul also. Of course, at that time, Mary had no clue what Simeon might have been talking about. But let me just say, looking up that day and seeing Jesus on the cross and her mind going back, she knew exactly what he was saying. Because that sword was piercing her heart minute by minute as her son Jesus stood upon, uh, hung upon that cross. That brings us to verse 26. We're going to see this third saying that Jesus made while hanging on the cross. It says, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his own home. Do You realize when Jesus said, here is your son, he wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about John. So picture these soldiers, they're at the foot of the cross while all of this is taking place. They're gambling over his garments. Uh, they've divided his garments. They're gambling over this uh, fifth piece of uh, garment, this seamless garment, which I found out was called the chiton, chiton or chiton, this seamless robe. Look what it says in verse 26. Jesus therefore saw his mother. Have you ever wondered why John waits this long to mention that Jesus sees his mother? I mean, we know that she's been there through the whole event. She's followed him from the moment it started. She's followed him. She's followed him watching. She's followed him uh, weeping. So why didn't Jesus acknowledge her before this point? I'm just kind of thinking outside the box this morning, and maybe it was him when he looked down and he saw them gambling over this seamless garment. And I say that because I learned from studying for this uh, scripture, this message, that it was Jewish tradition for mothers to make their sons a seamless garment like this and give them right before 
they left home. So what I'm saying is I think when these soldiers took a hold of that seamless garment, they were touching something that was near and dear to Jesus' heart, something that his mother had lovingly made as a gift for him years earlier. So I want you to picture with me Jesus hanging on that cross in agonizing pain, saving every bit of strength that he has just to take his next breath. But when he looks down and sees them gambling over this garment that his mother had lovingly made for just him, all of a sudden he looks down at his disciple, and he looks down at his mother, and he says, woman, here is your son. John, here is your mother. Simplify things. I think Jesus was basically saying, mom, I'm leaving you now. I'm not going to be able to take care of you after I'm gone. I believe he's saying, Mom, there's nothing else I can do. Mom, do you see John? He will be to you as I was to you. Mom, do you see John? He will be a son to you. Mom, do you see John? He will take care of you. And John, do you see my mother? Take care of her after I'm gone. Do for her what I would have done for her if I was still here. He knew without a doubt that he couldn't take care of his mother anymore, so he was committing her over to his beloved disciple, John. He was making sure that his mother was taken care of in the years to come. He was delegating responsibility, a huge one for Jesus, over to John. Think about this. This is amazing when I think about it. Even though he was occupied with the most important event in the history of redemption, he was performing redemption, yet he still remained a faithful son to his mother. Fulfilling every responsibility he had to his mother, I, I imagine that he picked up when Joseph died years earlier. Do you realize in those days there was no social security plans, amen? There were no pension plans. She was a widow, and it was Jesus' obligation as the eldest son to take care of his mother. And as that oldest son, Jesus had the obligation to care for his mother, and he handed that obligation off to someone he knew he could trust, he handed that obligation off to John, and John quickly obeyed that command. But it wasn't just about that. Jesus, I believe, was fulfilling the most basic and sacred obligation that any son has ever been given to fulfill, and that comes to play in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, where it's a fifth commandment of the Old Testament, fifth commandment, where it says, honor your father and your mother. Think about all that Jesus was going through, performing redemption, going through everything he was going through on the cross, and yet he remained faithful to his responsibilities as a son. You know, when I think about this, Jesus made, every, made sure every detail concerning his mother was taken care of. That's the kind of God we serve, amen? That's the kind of father, that's the kind of Lord we serve. Jesus is also recorded in the Bible as having siblings, four brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas were his brothers. Matthew chapter 13, verse 55 also records that Jesus had sisters, although their names are never mentioned. So with that said, why do you think Jesus wouldn't have just handed off that responsibility to one of his brothers? I'll tell you why. John chapter 7, verse 5 says, not even his brothers believed in him. Can you imagine growing up in that household and your own family doesn't even believe you? Your own family doesn't even believe in you. Mark chapter 3 says that they thought Jesus was totally out of his mind, not in his right mind. They only became believers after Jesus was resurrected from the dead. That's when they became believers. 
And we know that they were believers because in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, uh, when the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost, they were recorded as being in that upper room. It says, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So they were evidently not uh, believers yet when Jesus was hanging on that cross. But while he was hanging on that cross, in all this agony and pain, he was still concerned about his mother. He made sure she was taken care of and he committed his mother to the care of his beloved disciple, John. I love, if you read the book of John, every time John comes to a place where he's describing himself, he doesn't say, me, John. He said, the disciple that Jesus loved. You know, I don't think that means that Jesus loved him any more than others, but I have to tend to think that maybe Jesus loved, that John loved Jesus a whole lot more than a lot of the others. But did you notice that Jesus never refers to Mary as mother? If you read through the whole Gospels, he never, in any of the Gospels, refers to Jesus as his mother. I wondered, why would that be? Why, does he, why doesn't he call Mary mother? Instead, he calls her woman. I think that's for a couple different reasons, probably more than that, but two that stand out to me. One, for protection. I believe that if they knew and he identified her as his mother, many of those haters of Christ would become haters of hers and would have come against her. I mean, think about what they could have done to her. And Jesus loved his mother too much to put any more grief and sorrow upon her than what she was already experiencing. But this next point is a big one, maybe even bigger. He had to establish his role as a savior. She couldn't look at him any longer as her son. She had to begin to look at him as her savior and her Lord. She had to become a fully devotable, devoted follower of Christ. She wasn't a co-redeemer. She wasn't queen of heaven, not even a contributor to salvation. She was one in need of redemption, just like all of us, just like a world of people. That doesn't mean Mary was any less of a woman because God chose her and she was blessed among blessed, above blessed among women. But what does this third statement that Jesus made mean to you and me today? I think it tells me that she wasn't just, Jesus wasn't just focused on those few that loved him at the cross. He was focused on the others that hated him. But it tells me bigger than that, and for you today, he was focused on you. He was focused on me today. He was focused on us. Because think about it. If Jesus could provide for his own in his darkest hour, in his greatest moment of uh, humiliation and weakness, Think about how much more he can provide for you in his present moment or present position of power. The Bible says when he ascended, where did he go? To be seated at the right hand of God. The right hand of God in his power. So not only are you and I as believers in a better position than Jesus' own mother was, if you can believe that or not, Jesus was in a better position to do for us what he couldn't even do, have done for his Mother, so believe it or not, we stand in a whole lot better place for Jesus to bless us or be able to bless us today than he was even able to back then because of what he fulfilled in completing the mission that God had sent him to, to die on that cross and not only die, but to raise from the dead. I hope you're getting a little bit of picture, a little of the picture of what I'm trying to say today. If God has the power to raise the dead, don't you think he can handle your situation? If he has that much power to raise Jesus from the dead, don't you think he can take your situation and fix it? 
Don't th- you think he can take your situation that you think has died and bring it back to life? You know, I know we rely on Google a lot, don't we, and Alexa to do things for us. But let me ask you, what in this world or what of this world could ever raise the dead? Nothing. Nothing can do that. Paul says in Philippians 4.19, My God, Paul knew who his God was. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So I look at this statement that Jesus makes while he's hanging on the cross to his mother. And you know something? I'm sure that encouraged Mary. But it ought to encourage your faith this morning. It ought to encourage our faith. If he could provide for his own, if he could provide for his own, in his greatest weakness, greatest humiliation, if he could provide for his own in those moments, how much more can he meet all of your needs, all of my needs, according to his riches in glory and according to his present position at the right hand of God in heaven? Another thing I find these words to tell us is about the importance of the body of Christ. When I say the body of Christ, I'm talking about the family of God. I'm talking about the importance of the church. Our families are usually, usually, not always, but usually the ones that stick by us. We've got in-laws and we've got outlaws, and some of us have more outlaws than others. But we've got in-laws and outlaws, and they're usually the ones that stick by us through thick and thin. Let's just say Jesus took this most precious earthly relationship that he had, and he entrusted his mother Mary over to one of his congregation, you might say, over to his disciple John. Do you remember the story in the Bible where uh, the rich man came to Jesus and said, basically, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, go out and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Rich man couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. That's why Jesus said it will be so hard for a rich man to get into the kingdom of God. Then Peter steps up and he says, behold, Lord. He says, we've left everything and followed you. Listen to Jesus' reply. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, There is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or farms for my sake and the Gospels that he will receive a hundred times. How many times? A hundred times as much now. That's today in this present age. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. Now, where in this world, where in this life are you going to find a hundred more mothers? a hundred more children, a hundred more brothers, a hundred more sisters. Is anybody tracking with me? It's here. It's in the body of Christ. It's your church family. That's where God is going to expound our own family way beyond a natural family. And only He can do that, and He does it through the family of God. Look at Acts 20, verse 28. It says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the flock or the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. You know, when I read this verse, it kind of comes to life for me. I can see a word picture playing out. I can see this large field full of lush green grass, and I can see the landscape dotted with hundreds of thousands of sheep, and I can see the shepherd standing there watching over the sheep with his rod and his staff in his hand, and I can see Jesus standing over the sheep that he owns. This shepherd standing over the sheep that he owns. He owns them, but he didn't pay for them with money. He paid for them with his precious own blood. And I say that to say the church is important to Jesus. Do you realize that? He designed it. He created it. He went to the cross and died for it. And one day it says he's coming back for his church. Amen? He's coming back to his church. There are three things 
a lot of things, but I'm going to pick out three today that we can receive from our church without a doubt. Prayer number one, encouragement number two, and even correction when we need it. I think when I think of God's church, we ought to be a loving, caring, sustaining, encouraging family ourselves for one another. And I believe that was part of Jesus' point of putting uh, John and his mother Mary together in that relationship. Will Victory Church ever disappoint you? Probably. And if we haven't yet, we will. I've got a few more minutes left in this sermon. I could still disappoint you. But you know why we'll disappoint you sometimes? It's not that we want to, and it's not that we're trying to. It's because we're an imperfect people. We're flawed. We're messed up. We try to be as perfect as we can. None of us are good enough to be perfect on our own. We're an imperfect people, but the good thing is we serve a perfect God. We're imperfect, but we serve a perfect God. You know, we want to be and we try to be the hands and feet of Christ to those around us because, believe it or not, that's what He's called us to be. Do we succeed every time? No. But we're to keep trying. Amen? So maybe you're here today and you've got some struggles in your marriage. Maybe you're here today and you just found out from a doctor you've got a horrible diagnosis. Maybe your kids are out of control. Maybe you've lost your job. Uh, maybe you're wrestling with some hurt or habit or hang-up. I believe it's through God's people, the church, that God is able to tangibly touch your need. You know, God is spirit, but we are flesh. And the spirit of the living God working through you and I, move these hands and move these feet, move these hearts, move these uh, eyes and face and all that we have to touch people around us. And that starts with your church family. But it's not limited to your church family. It goes way beyond that. I can't tell you how many times I have seen people that have fallen on hard times in this church, and I have been blessed to see the church step up and be the church. I've seen the church step up and do amazing things. I've seen the church rally around those, give generously. I've seen the church rally around people who are sick. I've seen this church at this altar praying on their knees for people that need prayer that are sick. I've seen them take meals to the family. I've seen them go to hospital visits. I've seen them take that person's kids to soccer practice or to school. I've seen people in the church that have mowed a single lady's yard time and time again to help that lady after her husband walked out on her. All these things, and there are so many more we can't even count, but all these things tell us of the heart of God that lives through His church or should be living through His church. Amen? As we reach out and we help those around us, I believe God is saying, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. My church is here for you. They're not going, they might let you down. They're not trying to let you down, but they want to help you. They want to encourage you and sometimes correct you. That's a part of it, too, that we don't want to hear sometimes. Maybe you're caught up in some addiction. You realize the church is here to help in that situation, too. And the list goes on and on and on. But think about this. If Jesus was eager to help his mother in his worst of hours, can you imagine how eager he is to help us that will believe in him, that will trust in him, that will rely on him, his will, and his word? If Jesus could provide for the needs of his own in that moment of weakness and humiliation, and if in that moment he purchased the church with his own blood, I'll say this, there should be no one without the caring family today, without a caring family today in the body of Christ. There should be not a one that ever attends church that feels alone. And if sometimes if you're feeling alone, it's because you've kept it hidden from us. I'm saying start to be bold about allowing the family of God to reach out and be the family 
of God. We should rally around each other. Do you realize that? We should rally around each other. And I want you to get this thought in your heart, your mind, and even in your gut. The church is not a place. The church is not a building. We call this the church, but the church is not a building. It's a people. The church is the people of God doing the will of God. You realize we need each other to go out and be the church more than ever before? We need to think about our spiritual family members. Think of Jesus and his own family that didn't even believe in him yet until after his resurrection. But I emphasize the yet because even though they didn't, didn't mean that they weren't. I believe this is for someone today. You've been praying for somebody for a long time and seeing no change, seeing nothing uh, any different yet. Don't quit praying. Don't quit believing. Don't quit trusting God to do what only He can do. Maybe it's up to you. You've got some obligation to fulfill. Maybe they're waiting on you. Maybe God's waiting on you. You might have been praying for 20 or 30 years about a situation. Well, think about Jesus. He was 33 years old when He finished His ministry, died on a cross, and His own siblings didn't even believe in Him until after that resurrection. I say that to say this is why we don't ever stop being the church. Amen? We don't ever give up on anyone everywhere anywhere, anytime. We never stop being the church. I think we should pray for more of a passion to be the church. We should be more mission-minded because you realize Jesus is alive. He didn't just come alive on Easter and we have to wait till then. No, He is alive. Jesus is alive and He's coming back one of these days. Church, we've got a lot of work to do. Church, we've got to step up and become the church and I have to brag on you a little. I think you do an awesome job for the most part when I look at this congregation of being the church. But do we have room to grow? Amen. Do we have more to do? Amen. But maybe today, we're talking about relationships. Maybe your own relationships with your own family is definitely not what it should be. Maybe it's broken. Maybe it's busted. And a a relationship that should be there for you isn't. God even took care of that because He cares. Because even when your biological family won't care. Your spiritual family will. God has called us to be the spiritual family, to love one another as if we are closer than biological family. We are spiritual family. This morning I want to challenge you. After you've heard this message, and I haven't had too many uh, funny things in this one, this is serious. Church, we need to get busy about God's business. We need to get busy of reaching out to those that we work with every day. And you've never even maybe found out how many kids they have. Are they married? You don't even know anything going on in their life. Get to know them and get to love them. Get to care for them. Let them know that you care about what's going on, even at school. Be a friend to those that don't have any other friends. Sit down at the lunch table with them when nobody else will sit down with them. Be kind to those people around you that need a friend. Because that's what God has called us to be. That's what God has called us to do. And that's what the church is for. Amen. Could you stand to your feet this morning? Could you bow your hearts in prayer? Father God, we thank you for your goodness, your mercy, and your love. We thank you, Lord God, for your entire focus always being upon us. Even on the cross where you were bleeding, suffering, hurting, and dying, we were on your mind. Lord, I just ask you that you would forgive us for taking your sacrifice and your love for granted. Father, forgive us for being desensitized 
for what you gave up by giving your sacrificial love on that cross. We thank you, Lord God, for the outpouring of your love on that cross. Father, I pray that you would help us all to be in a right relationship with you, but not only just with you, but with those around us today. I pray that we would look up and wonder, who are my mothers? Who are my children, my brothers, and my sisters? Father, I ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes to the people in need around us. Show us how to love those that might be unlovable. Show us how, Lord God, to love those that are different from us. Show us how to care for the overlooked and the rejected, Father. Father, bind our hearts together as one people, your church, and help us to be servants caring for the needs of those that you would put in our paths and open our eyes to see them coming. We pray, Lord God, this in the name of the greatest servant of all that served us all the way to the cross. We give you thanks for the church that you want us to be. And I pray that you would give us as a church, Victory Church this morning, that desire, that passion to go out and serve you with all of our hearts. And as we serve you, we're going to be serving others by loving them with the love of Jesus Christ. In your precious name, I pray. And if you agree with that this morning, say amen with me. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Go out and change the world for Jesus.